The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to, do, four to two with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a pale-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could get but a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey and also did Jimmy Blake. And the former was a hoodoo while the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off that ball. And when the dust had lifted and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second and Flynn a hugging third. Then from 5,000 throats and more, there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled on the flat for Casey. Mighty Casey was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile lit Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt it was Casey at the bat. There was 10,000 eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt and 5,000 tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the wreathing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance flashed in Casey's eye and a curl sneered Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches black with people, there went up a muffled roar like the beating of storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher once more. The dun sphere flew, but Casey still ignored it. And the umpire said, strike two. This sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball and he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville that day. Mighty Casey has struck out. If you're confused, that's not our sermon text today. <laughs> that was Casey at the Bat by Ernest Lawrence Thayer. And I don't think anything quite like Casey at the Bat can resonate 
with the day after Christmas. What happens when all of the one thing that consumes all of your faith, your longing and all of your expectations is over? What happens when all the candles burn out? What happens when maybe Christmas this year wasn't what you expected it to be? Maybe COVID canceled things. Maybe you're just disappointed that it's over. Sorry, but maybe you're trying to think that like Monday isn't tomorrow. What condition is, is your faith in this morning? What happens when expectation is dashed? Like Pastor Jen said, this morning we're going to be, we're going to be looking at faith. We're going to be wrapping up our, our Advent series. And we're going to be doing so in John 6. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. And I don't want us to get too lost in the weeds because we're going to be looking at John 6, 47 to 69, which is a hefty amount. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to examine two different types of faith. Two different types of faith because one leads to sheer abandonment. One leads to the expectations being dashed and people walking away while the other leads to spirit-enabled dependence on Jesus. If you want a definition for faith, that's what we're going to be working with this morning. Spirit-enabled dependence on Jesus. So if you wouldn't mind turning to John 6, 47 to 69, uh, it'll be on the screens if you don't have a Bible. This is Jesus talking. He says this, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogues in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time on, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus said to the twelve. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, 
To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know, to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's the word of the Lord. So, in this story is embedded two different types of faith, but I feel like I need to kind of give you a little context of what's going on. So, this is the next day after Jesus had just fed the 5,000. You know, he's on the mountainside, he has people sit down, there's no food, so they break two loaves and a couple, a couple fish and a couple bread, two, two fish and five loaves, right? And there's this miraculous feeding, and all of these people get fed so much so that there's extra, right? And then that night, Jesus crosses, Jesus has his disciples cross the Sea of Galilee, all right? And then there's that famous story where Jesus, Jesus finds them, and he's walking on the water, Right, so the disciples just had a crazy day and crazy night. And this is the next day, they're on the other side of the lake, and the crowd gets up and they go, Well, where, where's he at? So they cross over and they go, Hey, Jesus, you know, you didn't, you didn't tell us where you were going. When did you get here? What are you doing? And here's where Jesus is faced with two different types of faith the faith of the crowd and the faith of the disciples. So let's first look at the faith of the crowd. And this is a faith that is rooted in expectation. We didn't read it, but in verse 26 of John 6, Jesus looks at the crowd and he goes, you're not here because you saw the signs and, and you believed. Rather, you're here because you ate the loaves and, and now you're hungry. And right off the bat, we see this consumeristic view of Jesus the faith of the crowd rooted in a Jesus that meets their immediate need based on a self-diagnosis of the problem. I'm hungry. That guy knows how to feed people. So let's go. Faith of the crowd was contingent upon the payoff. Is it worth following? What do I get out of it? If he gives me blank, then he'll have earned my trust. If he gives me blank, then he's worthy of my faith. In other words, hey, Jesus, I'm hungry. I, I need you to hit a home run for me. This is a very hard, kind of ugly faith. And the problem is, is it can mask itself in very good ways. It can look very pious and holy. And it looks like something like this. If you have enough faith, God will give you a house in a bad housing market. If you have enough faith, Christmas will be magical. If you have enough faith, you'll get the raise. If you have enough faith, you get an A on the test. And we realize that we place a lot of expectation on Jesus. And that becomes what our faith is rooted in. And if you don't realize that you do this, uh, your faith in Jesus actually plays itself out in the way that you interact with others as well. So how many of our relationships with either our kids or our spouses look something like 
well, how come I don't get anything out of this relationship? Well, how come my needs aren't being met? I thought that we were in this together, and the payoff is no, is no longer valuable, so you start to lose faith in your marriage, or you start to lose faith in your kids. And our relationships become, well, I'll do this if you do that, and, and we, we end up having this bargaining between us. And it's seen all over the place. Our relationship with our church, our relationship with our workplaces, as long as I get the right compensation, as long as I get the right bonus, as long as I get the right raise, then I'll continue doing this. As long as that teacher gives me respect, as long as I can see why I need to know algebra, which I still don't know, I'll do it. Right? And we realize that, be, that becomes what our faith a lot of times looks like in Jesus as well. Well, when I feel blessed, I am blessed. When I feel comforted, that's, that's my faith. And that's, that's what I need in order for my faith to be strong. And what happens when you don't get it? What happens in John 6? This kind of faith leads to, you know, I guess he wasn't who we thought he was. This leads to absolute abandonment of the Son of God. This is Jesus, um, I'm here for the bread. And if I don't have it, I'll go find it somewhere else. So you see the crowd leave and they go back to normal. They go back to their life. And they look for it somewhere else. And this isn't a 2,000 year ago problem. Is this not the very motto that our culture champions? If you're unhappy, you're free to find something else. If your faith in something has let you down, you're free to put it in something else. You don't like Walmart? Go to Target. You're free to leave, all right? If you're unhappy in your marriage or with your spouse, you're free to find a substitute. If you don't get satisfaction and pleasure out of your gender, you're free to change it. If you don't like the sermon, you're free to go to one of the any seven churches down the street, right? This is what we do. This is the American way. If you don't like it, you're, you're free to go find something else. And the problem with that is, with that kind of faith, is you are anything but free. You're not free. You will constantly be stuck in a cycle of expectation leading to disappointment, leading to despair, and then out of your despair, you have more expectations, so you take that and you place it on something else that you really hope won't let you down, only to find that you've invested just long enough to realize that that is not the answer to your problem. So now you have even more despair because you have even more disappointment, so now your expectation grows even more. So you're stuck in this endless cycle of, well, I don't like this. Well, i got to find something else because now I'm disappointed. You could see this with 
Christmas too. How many of us uh, got multiple gifts for Christmas? You don't have to raise your hand, but think about it. How many of you got multiple gifts? Why did you not stop at one? I would, I, I would, I'm pretty confident that nobody still has gifts left to open at home, unless you didn't see the person to give them to them, right? Nobody was like, oh man, I got this, I got this pair of socks, and let me tell you, my needs are just met. I don't need anything else, all right? Or I got this toy, and let me tell you something. I am content for the rest of my years on this earth with this one thing, right? That's not what we do. Half of us are probably, honestly, if this is you, I'm not calling you out, but half of us are probably wearing some form of Christmas gift that we just got, right? And then we'll put it in the wash, we'll get something else tomorrow, Half of us are probably uh, a little bored with the Christmas gifts that we just got because we played with them all day yesterday and now we need something else new, right? We find ourselves in this cycle all the time where we place all of these expectations on things only to find out that they, they just don't quite meet it. They strike out when we need them to, to come through most. And, and what happens when, when the object of your faith strikes out? Well, there's no more joy in Mudville that day. And we go to find something else. And here's the good news. There's one way to break that cycle of expectation leading to disappointment, leading to despair. The way you break that cycle is you find something that is truly better. You find something that once you have it, you have no need to look for life anywhere else. That's called faith. That's the faith of the 12. That is spirit-enabled dependence on the person of Jesus. Let's look at the disciples' faith. You can see it right there in, in, in verse 66. Jesus says, are you going to go too? And Peter, who usually doesn't say the right thing, uh, this is one of the very few times that he nails it. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, no, because we understand. No, because we don't have any questions. What's Peter's response? Where else am I going to go? If I had another place to go, you better believe I'd be there. But Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. This isn't rooted in expectation. These are words of dependence. These are words in the midst of a really hard teaching where people say, uh, who can handle this? And uh, the disciples couldn't. In the midst of all of that, the answer of faith is, but I have nowhere else to go. Not that I understand everything. Not that I even like everything. But I have no other place to go because life is to be found in nothing else. That's how you break the cycle. You find something that is truly better. And true faith has no plan B. There's no plan B. I was watching this show about two 
like couples who get engaged and then like they're trying to plan a wedding because that's my life now. Um, and this one lady on the show, like it's one of those shows where you kind of like, you laugh and you cry all at the same time because of like how crazy it is, how, how pretty ridiculous it is. There was this one lady who was baffled that she had upset her husband. Couldn't understand why. All she said was, hey, we're planning a wedding. I don't want to get married in a church because if you get married in a church, then you can't get a divorce. <laughs> like, baffled when her husband went, so you have no faith in our relationship. She's like, what do you mean? I flew you from another country just to get here. What do you mean I don't have faith in you? Of course I have faith in you. And her husband looked at her and goes, no, no you, you have an exit strategy. To this woman, faith in her husband looked like, uh, hey, there's a limit. There's a limit. And when we cross that threshold, it's over. I believe in you up to this point because here's, here's the expectations that have to be met. One of my family's favorite Christmas movies is uh, Christmas Vacation, right? Clark Griswold is somebody whose expectations never get met. Right? There's one part of the movie where he's waiting for this Christmas bonus and he has in his head all of the stuff that he's going to do with it. He's going to put it in a pool. He's going to fly all his relatives in. Right? And the whole movie is him waiting for this envelope to come from his company. And when he gets that, ugh, it'll be great. Spoiler alert. He opens it up to find that he's been rolled in the jelly of the month club. And there was no joy in Mudville that day. So the whole movie is him shifting expectations from one thing to another. And just when he thinks that he's found the thing that's worthy of his faith, it lets him down. And how many times do we do that too? So if I could ask you this morning, where is your faith? What condition is your faith in this morning? Because the house can flood, and when the house floods, there's no joy literally in Mudville. The car can get broken into or stolen or in a crash, and when that happens, there's, there's again, no joy in Mudville. You could get passed up on the promotion. And if that's where your faith is, then there's no joy in Mudville. See, it wasn't that the crowd's expectations were too high on Jesus. It's that they weren't high enough. They came to him and said, uh, we're hungry, give us bread. And the Son of God looks at him and goes, I'm right here. No, but we want bread, we're hungry. And Jesus goes, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm the bread that gives life. And he refers back to the book of Exodus where Israel is traveling in the desert and God literally rains bread down, physical bread down from heaven. And Jesus says, what happened? They ate it and they died. They ate it and they died. He says, he is the bread that comes from heaven that once you get him, you get life. You get life. 
elsewhere. John 1 says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that light, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here, many years later, the word made flesh is standing in front of people saying, it's me that you want. As Pastor Jin said, through our whole sermon series, you don't get faith by trying to have more faith. You don't get love by trying to be more loving. You don't get peace by trying to eradicate fear and everything that you feel like peace is the opposite of peace. You get all of those things when you get him. And the the question is, is he enough? Is Jesus enough? One of my favorite theologians, uh, R.C. Sproul, said this. He said, the issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. The issue of faith is not so much whether or not we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in, and the God that we believe in is on a hill saying, I'm all you need. The God that we claim to believe in is saying, find in me life, because in me, you don't have to keep looking. Is he enough? Far beyond, this is, this is the mystery of the gospel, far beyond God wanting to meet your physical needs, he meets your spiritual needs, but how does he do that? By becoming physical. For the crowd, Jesus was a means to an end. Hey, I'm hungry, I need bread, you can give it to me. Here's the problem. When Jesus is a means to an end, um, you now accept him on your terms. And you decide what the end is. And Jesus is looking at a crowd saying, hey, what you're looking for isn't good enough. You want physical bread? That's great. What about tomorrow? And we find ourselves doing this too. You want a great Christmas? What about tomorrow? What about the 26th? What about the 27th? Especially when it's a Monday. What about when you have to go back to school? What about when you have to go back to work? What about this? What about that? What about when all of those things stand at the plate and you're in the crowd cheering for them and it seems like they strike out? What, if, what then? Well, then you're led to despair. Yet Jesus says, no, I'm all you need. I'm the bread that gives life. You don't need to go looking for life because life came looking for you. That's what we celebrate at Christmas is that we don't need to go looking to find life in anything other than the God who came to us. And Jesus says, find in me that faith. Find that in me I am enough. He alone has the words of eternal life. And how did the disciples know that? Because we have come to believe and to know who Jesus is. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what happens? What happens when we come to Jesus and we find ourselves just like the crowd? We find that our faith is wavering because we've placed it on physical standards. We've taken our list of expectations that we feel a Savior should meet and he doesn't do that. What happens when we honestly repent of that? What is Jesus' posture towards that? He offers you bread. He offers you bread. 
We're going to take communion next week. And when we take communion, we celebrate that the Son of God came. He became like us in every way. He entered into our physical world. He became a person to have a relationship with. So what happens with a bunch of unfaithful disciples? What is Jesus' response? Offers bread and he says, this bread is different from any other bread that you will ever find in the world because this bread is my body which has been broken for you and for the sins of the world. And this wine is different than any other wine you will ever find in the world because it gives life because it is my life that has been poured out for you. And the Savior of the world who said, I am the bread of life, also hung on a cross as our willing sacrifice. So that way in the midst of our wandering, in the midst of our unfaithfulness, we can see that Jesus is more faithful to us than we ever could be to him. God does not see you as a means to an end. He calls you to find your life in him. Is he enough? You will find that when you know Jesus, it is a work of his spirit in you that creates spirit-enabled dependence on him. Because all, all hell can break loose in your life. Everything that you can imagine going wrong can go wrong. And here's, here's the sweet, sweet news. is Jesus can be on the throne, reigning, eradicating the effects of sin in your life and death in your life in the midst of it, even as that happens. He breaks the cycle because he truly is better. So this morning, I want to invite you, find, place your faith in Jesus. Find that in him you have all that you need. He alone has the words of eternal life. So what makes us think that we could go anywhere else but to him? So let's, let's go to him now in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our tiredness, in the midst of our longing. Let's go to the one who enables our faith. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you alone have the words of eternal life and we would not know faith or love or peace if we did not know you. So we celebrate that you made yourself known. God, as we come to you again, help us, give us eyes of faith that cling to you even when we don't understand everything, even when we still have questions because we know and we are convinced that life is only to be found in you. You truly are the one thing that is better, that breaks the cycle of expectation leading to disappointment, to despair because, because in you we don't have to go looking for life because you have the words not just of life but of eternal life. Once we get a hold of you, we find that we have all that we need. God, thank you that in the cross you have confirmed your faithfulness to us. You have demonstrated that you are way more faithful to us than we could ever be to you. So Jesus, as we go this week, point out all the areas in our lives where we bring all of our expectations to you and we, God, show us that in the midst of them not being met, your grace is there. Your love is there because none of our expectations, you blow, you blow away our expectations on the cross that, that you, the Savior and the Sovereign Ruler of all the earth, 
would die for a bunch of sinners. That you who knew no sin would become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus, help us to live every day in that faith. Reliant and dependent on you because life is to be found in nowhere else. God, keep us from going to other things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.